Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Saturday. I am sports mental health empowerment coach and couple marriage and family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. You know who that guy is. Who is he? Ronnie Ransom, y'all. Welcome back. Welcome back. Glad to see you all again. I'm sorry I missed last week, but, um, you know, unfortunately, my family, we finally had our uh, turn with COVID. Um, So, but we were, we were fine for the most part. Um, But uh, I think, you know, I, I still have tested positive this week. So, you know, I think my body is just, you know, at this point, just trying to make me stay at home. Which I mean, I'm not, you know, hey, shout out to shout out to remote work. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not complaining. Remote work because God, man, I, I'm the one thing the pandemic has taught me, you know, even though Joe Biden says the pandemic is over, you know, the one thing that, you know, the last two years has taught me is that, you know, I'm grateful for the job I, you know, was led to do because, yeah. you know. If I was in any other career field two years ago, probably would have been really treacherous, you know. Yeah, so. absolutely. But um, no, nah, we're doing better this week. Glad to be back. Good. Missed Good. y'all last week. Indeed. Um, I watched it. I appreciate Ted holding it down. He y'all did. did a phenomenal job as always. While we were busy being, hey, look, man, them them uh PCR tests, man, like. <laughs> I feel like they scraping my brain. Like, oh my lord. Yeah, it's torture. Man, but. Anyways, we got a great, great topic lined up for y'all today. Um, it's football Saturday again. We got a great slate of games coming up. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to do week four picks last week, but we're back for week five this week. Mm-hmm. So we got our picks, but we also have our scores from uh, week three that we didn't get a chance to go over. So we'll go over that at the end of the show. Um, Dr. Piss is trying to get back in the game, y'all. I'm let y'all know she's trying to get back in the game. But – you know, we got week five this week, but we got a great topic for y'all lined up today called surviving PTSD. And no, not this time. We're not talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. This time we're talking about parental traumatic stress disorder. You know, unfortunately, adverse childhood experiences or ACEs are relatively common. You know, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, approximately 60% of the population reports at least one adverse childhood experience. So, can children get PTSD from their parents? And is it possible for children to show signs of PTSD because they are upset by their parents' symptoms? So trauma symptoms can also be passed from parent to child or between generations, as most of us like to call generational curses and everything. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about, you know, what do, what does those, uh, what does, well, first of all, what are the adverse childhood experiences? What are those and what that comprises of mm-hmm. and how, yeah, how most of 60% of our population has at least one and how that can affect you if you have more than one, more than two, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So we're going to be talking about that. And also, if you do feel like you fall into this, what can you do about it now? So yeah. we've got a great topic, like I said, lined up for you all. Also, real quick, we also want to send our you know thoughts and prayers to all the, the families and the victims of Hurricane Ian that has been uh, terrorizing the East Coast since Wednesday. Um, for all of our listeners and viewers down in Florida, we hope you know we're sending our thoughts and prayers to you all, hoping that you all can have a uh, you know a speedy recovery down there. Um, I know there's been a lot of people you know deploying down there to send their efforts and you know help out and whatnot with the debris and the, the tarnage and everything. I they were I saw a lot of uh, before and after videos of you know before in like Fort Myers and. Um, yeah. Um, one of the islands, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but it's one of the islands that is right off the coast of Fort Myers, where mm-hmm. literally their entire roadway was washed away by the uh, hurricane and everything. Yeah, I saw that on the news. I don't remember <clears> the name <throat> of that island either, but I did see that on the news. And um, even in South Carolina, um, South Carolina had their um, <clears throat> rendezvous with Hurricane Ian yesterday mm-hmm. as it made landfall in South Carolina. Um, so, you know, all the victims in North and South Carolina as well. Yeah. Um, we literally got rain for 24 hours straight here yesterday in uh, Virginia. Like it started raining probably around like eight in the morning and it was mm-hmm. just a slow, steady rain all day. We did get some winds though. Like the wind mm-hmm. did get a little, uh, I think it may be about 30, 35 miles an hour up here yesterday. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, man, it was, um, it's crazy how these storms can be, you know, it, yeah. it's really crazy. So, you know, our thoughts and prayers are, you know, to the victims and families down there. Um, which definitely sending our thoughts and prayers to you all. And um, yeah, yeah. Dr. Pitts. Yeah. um, And just, you know, remembering too, that before Ian made landfall uh, in the U S 
it beat up on Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. So certainly, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dang, we have we, it was around for a minute. Yeah, yeah, we we have international listeners too, so we definitely want to um, send our prayers to um, our brothers and sisters in in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic as well, because Puerto Rico has been catching it. Yeah, they were still recovering. They were still recovering from the hurricane back in 2017. Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, they still were dealing with a lot of the um, the aftermath of that 2017 hurricane that that just annihilated so much of the the island. Um, so definitely want to keep them in our prayers. And you know, folks, don't hesitate. You know. Donate to the American Red Cross. There's a lot of of our churches all over the nation, as well as other organizations that are rallying around to support and to get resources to these um, devastated areas. It's needed. You know, it's needed. You know, I, for one, have um, extended family and friends in Florida that were adversely impacted um, by the storm and just really making sure that our loved ones are, are okay. And um, just so thankful that, uh, that we didn't experience loss of life, but there was loss of life. So, you know, you have folks that on top of everything else, you know, now have to deal with the stages of grief because they're going through bereavement. So definitely prayers, resources, um, whatever, you feel led to do to help these areas and, and these people that are so deeply impacted by this, you know, just, you hear me say it all the time, meet people in a place of common humanity with an open mind and an open heart, because it could have been any of us. Absolutely. Could have been any of us. Shoot. It, I mean, if you live yeah. on the East coast, it definitely will be you at one point or another, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. even, even here in Virginia, we've definitely had our, our fair share of uh, our hurricanes yeah. in the past and whatnot. Um, and they're never fun. I always tell people, you know, not to make light of, of natural disasters or anything, but yeah. um, if I had to choose which natural disasters I want to go toe to toe with on a yearly basis, give me hurricanes, though. Um, the, our, our listeners and viewers on the West Coast. Um, fires, mudslides, earthquakes. Um, yeah, nah, um, I, I'm good. I'm good on that because yeah. them photos and them videos of them forest fires from the last couple of years in California. Yeah. Ain't no way. Ain't no mud way. I can slides, just I, like you see a wall of mud just coming and engulfing your house. It's crazy. Yeah, no, nah, it, 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 it's real. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, like we said, shout out to all our listeners and viewers down in Florida and in the east in the East Coast that were affected by this hurricane. Yeah. And also our listeners in um Puerto Rico, Jamaica, even Cuba. Cuba got hit really hard. Yeah, yeah, I, I forgot saw, about Cuba. I saw a video of this big boat about maybe 10 Cuban citizens um, using the hurricane as a, to their advantage to get over here. Um, <laughs> I mean, what better time, what better time to come in, you know, than during a hurricane, you know, like, well, I mean, we was out fishing and next thing we know here we are in Florida. I mean, you know, the tide, the tide brought us in. It's high, you know, I mean, it, it's high tide out here. I mean, you seen this water out here recently? Shoot. I mean, you know, we was just okay. trying to get some fish, but yeah, you know, mm-hmm. hey, welcome to America, I guess, you know. Indeed. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, man, so, Dr. Pitts, do you have a, a mental health tip of the week this week? I, I do, and, uh, and I'm going okay. to need a minute or or, or six um, because I just had the, the idea. So I want to walk folks real, real quick. I'm going to go through this ACEs uh, questionnaire because I want people to be able, as they're listening, to determine if this is them. And then you said something real powerful. You talked about that multi-generational transmission and whether or not kids can suffer from PTSD from their parents. So I'm going to share a concept, which I did similarly last week, as well as part of my mental health tip. But I want to I want to heighten people's awareness, um, Ronnie, with how deeply our family has the ability to impact our overall well-being with regards to our mental health and what that looks like in an athletic okay. context. So the the way that the ACEs questionnaire works, folks, is that it's a 10-question questionnaire. And for each question that you answer yes to, you're going to give yourself a point. And the maximum amount of points that you get is 10. And of course, the closer you are to 10, the more likely that adverse childhood experiences are going to negatively impact you in adulthood. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk more about that in, in later shows and what have you. So the first question is, is did 
or does a parent or other adult in the household often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? Yes or no? I can take my glasses off, I can't see. Did or does a parent or other adult in the household often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Yes or no? If yes, give yourself a point. Did or does an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touch their body in a sexual way or try to or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal sex with you? If yes, give yourself a point. Did or do you often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other or support each other? Yes or no. Did or do you often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes and had no one to protect you or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it, yes or no? Were your parents ever separated or divorced? Yes or no? Was or is your mother or stepmother often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes or often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes or threatened with a gun or knife, yes or no? Did or do you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Yes or no. Was or is a household member depressed or have mental health issues or did a household member attempt suicide? Yes or no. Did a household member go to prison? Yes or no. If you answered yes to the majority of those questions, then it is a strong possibility that you are seeing the impact of adverse childhood experiences in adulthood. But I wanna take it one step further. And Ronnie, I wanna walk through this concept of family projection process very quickly. The family projection process describes the primary way parents transmit their emotional problems to a child. The projection process can impair the functioning of one or more children and increase their vulnerability to clinical symptoms. Children inherit many types of problems as well as strengths through their relationships with their parents. But the problems they inherit that most affect their lives are relationship sensitivities, such as heightened needs for attention and approval, difficulty dealing with expectations, the tendency to blame oneself or others, feeling responsible for the happiness of others or that others are responsible for one's own happiness, and acting impulsively to relieve the anxiety of the moment rather than tolerating anxiety and acting thoughtfully. If the projection process is fairly intense, the child develops stronger relationship sensitivities than his or her parents. The sensitivities increase the person's vulnerability to symptoms by fostering behaviors that escalate chronic anxiety in a relationship system. The projection process follows three steps. Number one, the parent focuses on a child out of fear that something is wrong with the child. Number two, the parent interprets the child's behavior as confirming the fear. And number three, the parent treats the child as if something is really wrong with the child. These steps of scanning, diagnosing, and treating begin early in the child's life and continue. The parent's fears and perceptions so shape the child's development and behavior that he or she grows to embody their fears and perceptions. One reason the projection process is a self-fulfilling prophecy is that parents try to fix the problem they have diagnosed in the child. For example, perceiving a child to have low self-esteem, parents repeatedly try to affirm the child and the child's self-esteem grows dependent upon their affirmation. Parents often feel they have not given enough love, attention or support to a child manifesting problems. Rather, they have invested more time, energy and worry in this child than in his or her siblings. The siblings less involved in the family projection process have a more mature and reality-based relationship with their parents. This fosters the siblings developing into less needy, less reactive, and more goal-directed people. Both parents participate equally in the family projection process, but in different ways. If the mother is the primary caregiver, 
she is more prone than the father to excessive emotional involvement with one or more of the children. The father typically occupies the outside position in the parental triangle, except during periods of heightened tension in the mother-child relationship. Both parents are unsure of themselves in relationship to the child, but commonly one parent acts sure of himself or herself and the other parent goes along. The intensity of the projection process is unrelated to the amount of time the parents spend with the child. So here's my tip, Ronnie. If you found that you scored higher on that ACEs questionnaire that I asked you, or if any of this information that I just shared regarding to the family projection process hit home and squirted you all in the face with my clinical holes, you need to be getting into therapy. You need to see a clinician, whether it be a couple marriage and family therapist, a mental health professional, a licensed clinical social worker, you need to consider seeing someone to help you to navigate all of this so that you have a better understanding of how all of this information is informing how you relate to yourself, which also directly impacts how you relate to others because it runs deep. It is systemic. You hear us talking about that term almost every show and you have to get clear on how your stuff is impacting your child's stuff and what that looks like over time and how that morphs into a multi-generational problem or for those that are you that operate from a spiritual foundation, what that looks like within the context of a generational curse. And thank you for that, Dr. Pitts. And, and I mean, so I remember first hearing about the ACEs study back in 2017 was the first time I heard of it. Uh-huh. And um, it was in my uh, master's program um, and I took the test and I think I, I scored uh, three out of ten. Um, I was a seven. Seven. I know I know some people who were eight, eight, nines out of ten. We had a, we actually yeah. had a, a classmate who was eight out of ten. They were on, they were honest about, you know, the score and they said, yeah, I'm an eight out of 10. And, um, so I, I don't think, I don't think you mentioned it, but I remember the first time I heard about it. Um, they said that if you scored at least a three out of 10, you were 1600 times, 1600% times more likely Mm -hmm. to use, um, substances or Mm -hmm. have bad, uh, physical health and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. If you had a score of four or more. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I think the number jumped into like 3,400% times more likely to mm-hmm. use substances, have poor health, mm-hmm. um, and have um, some underlying health conditions um, mm-hmm. as a result of your adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think, you know, I, I think for, for a lot of us out there, you know, it says 60% of the population has at least one. Um, yeah. I would like to think that at least now that number is at least almost 100% now. Um, I, I would agree. And I think it's higher in, in black and brown communities, too. I think that there Absolutely. needs to be an ACEs study culturally that focuses specifically on black and brown communities um, with even greater emphasis on what ACEs looks like in impoverished communities and homes. Um, it's, I, mean, honest, I mean, honestly, I don't it's alarming. It's beyond alarming. And I think, you know, I, th- I think we see it all the time. You know, we, we see on the news, we hear about, you know, these communities, mm-hmm. you know, these underserved and underprivileged communities, mm-hmm. you know, where they don't have natural resources. Like, just look, just look down in Jackson, Mississippi. They yeah. didn't have, you know, clean water for what, about almost a week and a half or something like that. Yeah. It's probably been longer than that before it was reported. Yeah. But like, imagine being in, imagine being in a community where you don't even have clean water, right. but you're expected to go about your day and mm-hmm. be a productive, you know, and happy citizen in this country, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, when I go home, I probably can't take a bath if I don't have bottled water. Right. I can't brush my teeth. I can't use anything if I don't have bottled water because the water that I pay taxes on that's supposed to mm-hmm. provide me and my family mm-hmm. looks like it came straight out of a sewer, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't be thinking in a, in a, uh, a happy, productive state of mind if you know i can't even get a basic necessity and we know when people don't have basic necessities they live in survival mode 
And we know that people who live in survival mode, it's all about self-preservation. Right. They're right. Going it's dangerous. That's it's it. Very, it's, 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 very it's, dangerous. it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous way to live physically, but it's also a very dangerous and toxic way to live mentally. How many people do we know that get stuck in survival mode? Absolutely. A lot Absolutely. of the time, we see it all the time in our work. Yeah, a lot time. of the time, a lot of the time, and I and I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, and, and I'll say that even even in, in the mental health field, I always tell people like, you know, even as a therapist, even when I was a, a community counselor working in the community, mm-hmm. working with clients in their environments, in their homes, seeing what they're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing that people fail to realize is like, you know, even with even with therapy, and therapy can be very therapeutic and, and help somebody understand what's going on yeah. around them. Yeah. But what therapy does not do and cannot do is therapy cannot provide the tangible resources that these communities right. need to pull themselves up out of this abyss that they find themselves in. Yeah. We can help you become aware of the situation and become aware right. of your surroundings. But we therapy does not provide tangible resources. Right. What therapy can provide, though, is for you to find and help put tangible resources in your community. But that, that has to be a collective effort. And they have and to fun- be there to be found. Exactly. And so when we see these communities that don't have jobs, don't have, you know, safe schools, safe environments, mm-hmm. safe playgrounds, you know, grocery stores that are actually having, mm-hmm. you know, food that's not killing you, you know, faster than just breathing, you know, yeah. things like that. When you don't have those communities, it's all about self-preservation. Yeah. I can't fault somebody for always being stuck in survival mode if that's all they know. That's if true. they've never been given a chance to live in, in thrive mode. Like a lot of times we you imitate your atmosphere, you do what you know. And and when you look at how that translates into how a person is showing up in their athletic performance, and it was several shows ago, but you were talking about a a teammate who had an episode um, on the bus during one of your away games. And, you know, the bottom line was, Folk had no idea. Folk had no idea what that player was having to deal with back home and how that was impacting him, though he was away at college. And people don't. People are oblivious. They are oblivious to the fact that people have a story. Everybody has a story. I think when we I think when the show Last Chance You first came out on Netflix back in 2017 mm-hmm. and in um, the uh, school, East Mississippi Community College mm-hmm. down there, mm-hmm. you know, look at all those kids who were four and five star athletes in high school. And, mm-hmm. you know, they they saw success. They saw, you know, the what they wanted. But what do we know about mm-hmm. people who who can trick themselves out of their own spot, can trick themselves out mm-hmm. of position? We know yeah. that when people are so used to bad, that good becomes bad. Yeah. Like that becomes normal. Don't even know how to handle it bad. when it comes. Think, think that it's, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. Exactly. So it's like I always, always hear people say who you know who go through adverse childhood experiences and are adults mm-hmm. now who haven't addressed those childhood experiences. They just kind of like put them behind them. Like, well, if I put this behind me far it's enough, it'll go away. It'll go away, and I don't have to think about it. And what they fail to realize is that you know those adverse childhood experiences turn into adult child, uh, adverse adult experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, Indeed. I always tell people, you know, that same kid who didn't have help becomes that same adult who's crying for help, who doesn't realize right. that the help starts within them. That's right. Well, because that, be, because that help has never been fostered within themselves, because that self-awareness has never been fostered and, and nurtured mm-hmm. and cared for, they don't understand that. Right. And one thing I always hear people say who go through these adverse childhood experiences is that happiness seems always far and fleeting. Like they've never experienced happiness <laughs> and I always put in, and I empathetically push back on it because I truly believe that, you know, when we, when we get so used to being fixated on bad, you know, even when we go through good things, it's not that we can't enjoy the good thing. It's not that we don't recognize the good thing. It's just like what you said, mm-hmm. as soon as that good thing happens, we automatically subconsciously automatically start to think, well, how long is this going to last? Or mm-hmm. how, when am I going to mess this up? You know, so you take an athlete who, you know, puts themselves in position to get out of their community, get out of their environment, and you put them in an environment where it's everything they could have wanted. Clean, clean dorm, 
you know, mm-hmm. food every day, hot food every day, multiple times a day, you mm-hmm. know, clean clothes on demand and stuff like that. When you put them in a position like that, are there some instances where athletes, you know, can kind of self-sabotage and trick themselves out of that spot? Absolutely. Yeah. It's because it's not that they don't appreciate it. It's just the fact that how long is this going to last before somebody takes this away from me or before I right. mess this up? Right. Because everything to them becomes ultimatum thinking or catastrophic, catastrophic thinking. Rooted in fear. Exactly. And when you make decisions based out of fear or fear of missing out on something, mm-hmm. you will always feel like every time is the last time. And if every time is the last time, then I, if I don't do this and I'm not going to feel complete, I'm not going to feel fulfilled. I'm not going to feel like mm-hmm. I got what I wanted out of it. Yeah. And, you, and after a while you get like that, it's like, you can't find, you find yourself to appreciate anything. Right. Right. And that's a draining feeling. That's a very hard feeling. And then imagine having, carrying that, going to college and having to go out and perform in your sport at the top of your abilities. With and all that craziness still going on back home. Exactly. And then those same adverse childhood experiences that happen in real life happen in the sports world too. Right. What happened? What happens when you're the, you know, you're the man of your town, you're the all state person, you go to a school where everybody's all state. And now you have to ride the bench for two years because you got two all Americans in front of you. Right. Who are going to get playing time. Right. And folk back home sweating you because you're not getting any playing time. What happens when you get that refund check and you got to send that money back home? So if you don't send that money back home, License is going to be out and you're going to have no food, whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying that's every I'm not saying that's every person's situation. It can be right. something that's it's, some. <laughs> it's definitely some. It definitely is some. Absolutely. It also can be, you know, the, the middle class kid who, you know, parents put these expectations of them being, you know, academic, you know, standout mm-hmm. and, you know, having it having to assuming the expectations of their parents without ever be given the chance to form their own expectations of themselves. Right. They automatically assume the expectations of their parents. And we know sometimes parents' expectations can seem unrealistic at times because sometimes parents' expectations are the expectations they have for themselves but couldn't accomplish, so they push it onto their kid to do. We talked well, talk about that all I time. wasn't able to do this, but if I give you the blueprint, this is exactly how you should be able to do this. Not never acknowledging or not never taking into consideration that maybe this isn't what my kid wants. Right. Or maybe this path isn't how my kid needs to get there. Maybe there's a different way to get there for them. Right. But if you don't give that kid the chance, if you don't give that kid the chance to form their own expectations, form their own goals and aspirations, and they just live for you and they just live off your expectations. Well, we know expectations change all the time. Yeah. So if all of a sudden my parents' expectations go from I'm stout and stern on you on grades to, oh, well, you're trying. Hold on. What you mean? You're not going to yell at me? Right. I just sat there and yelled at myself all week because I got a C on my test. And you like, oh, it's okay. You tried. Where the hell was that at 10 years ago? Yeah. Where was that at when I was in high school? Where was that at when soon as I would get home from practice? You were yelling at me about that. See, a lot of times parents don't understand that these kids go through these things and they think about these things on their mind. So when they get on their own, I always tell people, when you put when you give a kid a chance to be on their own for the first time. Mm-hmm. It will always resort back to what they saw growing up. Yeah. How did my mom handle the situation? How did my mom mm-hmm. handle not having no money? She was stressed yeah. out. She was upset. She was yelling. Mm-hmm. She was cursing. She always had an attitude. How did my dad handle? How did my dad handle a long day at work? He would come home, grab a beer out the fridge, sit down, tell everybody, leave me the hell alone until I'm ready to talk. Yeah. And so is that what I need to do? Do I need mm-hmm. to be irritable and angry and not figure out a way? People don't realize that. Yes. Kids just don't learn this stuff out of thin air. Like, yes, once obviously once kids get to a certain age, does their does their environment, does what they see on social media and stuff have a bigger influence over them than maybe their parents? Yeah, eventually. But those first those formative years, those first about five, 10 years, parents, I want you to know your kids are watching and listening. They're sponges. Yeah. I think I, and and I I agree to a to um I agree in part to the social media in, in influence. And the reason why I say that is because, yeah, people spend a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time on social media. But at the end of the day, 
this, this formation of who each person is individually started from in the womb. And what a Absolutely. lot of people, when you look at the role of genetics, when you look at some of these athletes <clears throat> were kids that suffer trauma in utero because, you know, substance use and abuse, because of environmental factors, because of medical conditions, the whole nine yards. When we will get more into it um, later on in the season, when we're talking more about how attachment impacts, you know, the, the development of a child and what that looks like uh, in relationship to athletic performance. But when you look at how even in utero, the fetus can hear, it's impacted by all of this environmental stuff. And I tell people all the time, babies can have bad nerves. Dr. Bitch, I'm trying to tell you, babies can be anxious. Babies can have. Be, I'm, gla- I'm have, glad you brought that. Can, can, can I, have can I chime in for a second? Please go right ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought this up. So look, people, go on YouTube. There's this. Um, he's a physicist, like mental health. Prof- like he, he a very smart dude. His name is um, Gabor Mate, and um, is G A B O R M A T E, but. He um, talks about the impacts of ADHD on children and stuff like that. And he talks mm-hmm. so beautifully about it. And it's really changed my perspective on ADHD. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about this all the time, you know, as as clinicians and stuff like that. You know, a lot of the times when we make, you know, our um, our clinical impressions on somebody's, you know, presenting symptoms and stuff like that. We base our, a lot of our thought and judgment based off the DSM or the um, Diagnostic Statistical Manual and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that helps us understand, you know, behaviors and stuff like that and, and help form a diagnosis. Unfortunately, what it doesn't do, it doesn't explain the why. And, you know, when we think about something so so simple as ADHD, it's a buzzword now. Everybody's ADHD and stuff Everybody like that, you know. But ADHD. ADHD is a fancy way to describe a trauma response to concern and worry about finishing something or doing something. And so when we think about when we talk about kids being distracted and inattentive and hyperactive and stuff like that, what we're seeing is, is kids have perceived something, you know, they have perceived an event, they've perceived a a situation, person, whatever the case may be, that causes them great concern and worry about how they'll go about handling that situation. Mm -hmm. And as opposed to putting the mental resources and capacity to figuring that out, what can I do to distract myself from thinking about it or having to worry about it? Mm-hmm. Well, I can be inattentive. I can be hyperactive. I can be all over the place. I can be bouncing around. I can be doing this and going to, going to do that. I can be fidgety. I can be doing anything that my mind will possibly think of to distract myself from what I have to do. And what you feed grows and it, your mind can gets conditioned to avoid. Exactly. And another thing, our female listeners out there, I want you to also understand this too, especially for those who, you know, decide to, you know, breastfeed and things like that. And, you know, kind of have a holistic, you know, uh, childbirth, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. but understand this, especially for our women out there and for the women who have sons. And this is really important. You know, I always tell people as much as, you know, I and, and daughters too, but kids can really feel off their mother's nerves. And especially when they're breastfeeding, you know, yep. and those nerve that those extra doses of serotonin of um, of all the other neuroreceptors that can go through our blood and stuff like that. When 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 you are connecting with your kid, your kid feeds off of that too. And so a lot of the times we see babies who become nervous, they cry a lot or something like that, or they or they just naturally seem nervous and stuff like that. That's not just by happenstance. It's not just by you know chance. That's that's genetics. That's being passed down. We see so many times in our community. I can't think of the lady's name. I'll always forget her. I think you know her name. She's a professor at, I want to say, Eastern Washington University, or whatever the case may be. But she has this term called PTSS, post-traumatic slave syndrome. She Didn't we have her on the show a couple of years ago? I think we, uh, I know who you're talking about. I think, I think we had we her. We might over, have. It was like November, December. We might have. I think we I had cannot... her one back in 2018, 19. I think we I had can't... her. I, I, and I'm, forgive me, I'm for, I'm drawing a blank on her name too, but I think we had her. I think we had her and two of her colleagues 
on. She can't. I, I remember she came to if, if because I remember she came to Virginia State in 2019 and talked mm-hmm. to us at, at, on campus mm-hmm. and she presented this idea of, of post-traumatic slave syndrome. And in mm-hmm. a nutshell, basically what she was saying is that it would be a fool of, for anybody to think that when you oppress a certain you know race mm-hmm. of people for yeah. the centuries that you know African Americans were oppressed for that there's not any type of repercussions and consequences for the generations after and just even look at what's going on since Jim Crow let's look at let's how the black family has been you know well they tried to destabilize the black family but in all reality if you look at the numbers there's more two parent households in the black community than any other mm-hmm. race in the country but they don't want to talk about that but mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is also that for a long time, they tried to destabilize the black household, removing the man out of the house so women could get welfare checks and welfare benefits and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Because if you had a man in there, why do you need this? But in Mm -hmm. all reality, even if the man is in there, how many times did black men have to swallow their pride just to bring home a few bucks that a few dollars that they were already being underpaid to their white counterparts? And I don't think that that doesn't bother the black man or doesn't make him angry, doesn't make him irritable, doesn't make him feel powerless to his family. And then you mm-hmm. have the black woman over here looking at this man like, we need food, we need, we need this, we need that. Why aren't you providing? And you start to create, you start to create this dissension and, and tension between the black communities and the black families and try to destabilize them. And they don't think that doesn't have an impact. They don't think that doesn't trickle down into the community, into the generations behind them. When it and our and when all reality it does. And we see how this plays out in real time. We see how a lot of there's things that we're talking about in these generations that your parents were talking about, mm-hmm. that their parents were talking about. And you sit there and be like, damn, we've been talking about the same things for 100 years now, ain't nothing changed. And I think the one thing that we all we fail to realize is like as as the generations, as society changes, comfort and complacency becomes more at the forefront. So why would I get you to address your childhood trauma if I can make your life comfortable now in a way where you don't have to mm. i can make you miserably comfortable the, the discomfort dis-ease and discontent of the uncomfortable comfort zone yeah and people become and i've said this on several shows that fear and anxiety are the outer perimeter of your uncomfortable comfort zone but people are so afraid to step outside of what they know. And so much of what they know is that trauma response. But then when you look at how that plays out in the athletic arena, it, it reminds me of the quote from the blind side coach cotton said, um, during spring practice, he said, a lot of times these kids from adverse circumstances can't wait to get on the field to hit somebody. Mm -hmm. Well, all of that anger, all of that aggression, all of that hostility, Oftentimes you see, and it's not just in football. You, I mean, you know, we see aggression come out in a number of different sports as well as behavior off of the field or off of the basketball court or whatever the case may be, because children imitate their atmosphere and children grow up to be adolescents and adolescents grow up to be young adults and young adults grow up to be youth. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't just miraculously go away. So when we look at all of these unresolved adverse childhood experiences that don't get addressed as you're advancing through the life cycle, and now you're in a position where you have a child that's engaged in sports and you are involved, but depending on how you're involved, really has the ability to impact how much joy and fulfillment your child gets out of the sport. From a positive aspect, positive <clears throat> involvement from parents can can boost self-confidence, can boost self-esteem, can be a catalyst to your child being more motivated and having more um, acceptable or clinically what we call pro-social behaviors those appropriate social skills that help them to have positive development and positive learning experiences. It's the valuable skills that children need to have facilitated by their parents. But if you as parents have 
all of this baggage, all of the the bricks in your pet, your backpack. This is the way I describe it to my clients, Mark, when we talk about, you know, post-traumatic parents and 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 what that looks like. I said, you know, we're all born. And, you know, we get to that age where we, you know, late toddler years, you have your little red, you know, boys might have their little red wagon or their little Tonka truck and girls have their little baby carriage. And parents with all of these unresolved issues in essence are putting bricks in your wagon or your Tonka truck and bricks in your baby carriage. And then you start school and now you have social bricks that are being added to your Tonka truck and your wagon and to your baby carriage, but you still have all this unresolved issues in your home. So more bricks. And then you advance through childhood and and in your, your later childhood years, now you have so much bricks that you have to get a wheelbarrow, right? So the baby carriage and the Tonka truck and the red wagon is now, oh, you got your 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 little wheelbarrow and, and socially more bricks and then parental and community more bricks. And you're advancing through the stages of the life cycle and you get to your middle school age. And now that social tip is on a whole nother level. So now mm-hmm. you've got cinder blocks in in your your barrel right and then you're going to high school and now you're really getting into that intimate partner exchange and and sexual identity and orientation and and now the athletic involvement is on a whole nother level because yo i i need to be able to go to college on an athletic scholarship because that's what it's going to take to get me out of here and and you're advancing and ronnie by the time folks get to college they have a flatbed truck full of all of this unresolved issue that the root of it is this multi-generational transmission that in Mm -hmm. some cases goes back to great, 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 great grandparents. And you bring it forward. And oftentimes because what you feed grows and it doesn't get addressed with every generation, it gets worse. So the bricks get bigger and the load gets heavier and the, 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 the adverse effect of the weight gets more intense. And now you're, you're in college and you're, you know, we, we use Hernandez as a lot of this textbook case study, man, textbook Mm -hmm. case study for us as clinicians. Right. So now you have, for example, an Aaron Hernandez who you can go back and you look at the documentary and you see that by the time he got to college, he had a tract and trailer full. Right. He had a tract and trailer full of, adverse childhood experiences that it was just loaded on and 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 and nobody was dealing with anything, Mm -hmm. but it stemmed from generations. When you, when you listen to that documentary and they talk about the relationship with his dad and the demands that were put on him by his dad, come on, man, come on. There has to be, you know, and and let's face it, I'm going to take a step back for a minute because I don't want you to think for a moment because I, you know, I, I love when I get my hate mail, right? I don't want anybody to think for a moment that what we're saying is that the adversities of the parent become an excuse to the adverse behavior. What mm-hmm. Ronnie and I are doing today is explaining the why. Yep. You can't confront something. You can't conquer something that you don't even acknowledge is a problem. You have to be willing to acknowledge the why of something. Why did an addict become an addict? Why did an alcoholic become an alcoholic? Why did the mental illness happen? Why? Why is this person so full of rage and anger? Why? Why is domestic violence a problem? It's it's October, baby. This is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Why? Why, 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 why? You know why? Because ain't nobody dealing with nothing. Ain't nobody dealing with nothing. Everybody want to sweep everything under the rug and act like, oh, I'm good. No, you're not. And if you don't make a conscious decision to deal with the bricks in your own backpack and wheelbarrow and flatbed truck and rider truck with the lift gate and the tract and trailer, you're going to keep effing your kids up. 
And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be 30, 35, 40, 45, 50 years old. My oldest client, Ronnie, throughout the course of my career was 85 years old. And I applaud that individual for finally making the decision to say, I'm tired of being effed up. Dr. Pitts, help me. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get started. When you going to make a decision for you? When you going to make a decision to stop being broken? When are you going to make a decision to stop operating from a place of woundedness every minute of every day of your life and then wondering why your kid's acting crazy? Why? It's, it's real out here. It's re- it, I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said. And I think, you know, it's never too late to make the choice to understand that, you know what, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe I maybe I haven't been doing this the right way. Maybe there is a different way, you know. And I think a lot of that stems from people having that self-confidence and that, and that self-love of, you know, I can be different. I can change, you know. It's unfortunate that, you know, people have to go through what they have to go through. You know, the only way I can kind of deduce it to is, you know, sometimes life isn't always fair. You know, the world world isn't always, you know, peaches and creams and and sunsets and valleys and all that type of stuff. Doesn't mean those things don't exist in the world. However, it's not all the world is comprised of. And so I think, you know, the one thing I always say, you know, to my clients who are teenagers and stuff like that, and I'm like, you know, the one thing that you have to begin to prepare for, whether you want to or not, and hopefully, ideally, your your parents should have already prepared you for this or begun to prepare you for this, but we know that it doesn't always happen all the time. The one thing that kids fail to realize is that, you know, yeah, you can have a career and, you know, have a financial plan and stuff like that, and that's good. You should. You should definitely have one of those, but you should also know or at least begin to know how to handle your emotions on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Because as an adult, you're mo- you, I always tell people, you can't control your emotions. You know, your emotions, they come and go. They're like waves. Mm-hmm. You have little waves, little emotions. You have big waves, tidal waves. You have blow-ups, intense moments, all those things. Those come and go. You can't control them. But what you can control is how you express those emotions, how you make decisions with those emotions. You can control that. Your thoughts and feelings, hey, those come and go. We have a million thoughts that come and go in our mind. We feel a whole bunch of feelings every day. Don't ignore the feelings. What are those feelings trying to tell you? I always tell people, think of your feelings like an alarm system. Mm, that's real. You know, your, feeling, your feelings are almost like if you have a, a, a very nice car, um, like, a, a, like a, a Rolls Royce or something like that, all the bells and whistles. Those mm-hmm. your emotions are those bells and whistles that come with these nice cars. Yeah. You know, the lane departure warnings. That's the feeling of anxiety, the feeling, oh, I need to be mindful of my surroundings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I need to be mindful of the people and what I'm doing. You know, that anger and stuff like that. That's almost like when you get hurt in the airbag, like they're catching you, like, hey, bro, hey, somebody's trying to hurt you. We we need to respond. We need to do something. Mm-hmm. So don't ignore your feelings. What are your mm-hmm. feelings trying to tell you? Because your feelings are trying to tell you, hey, bro. Something's going on outside of you. You having an external force right now that's trying to, you know, tell you something. What is it trying to tell you? And then take from that and make a decision. Ronnie, can I piggyback on that? Because I literally just had this conversation um, with a client yesterday. You know, some of my approach to wellness is people think it's unorthodox. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because life is unorthodox. Let me just go ahead and say that. So here's the thing. People are for, I don't want to deal with those feelings right now. You are dealing with them. You're just not dealing with them in a healthy way. Not dealing is still dealing, right? You, True. it's just like, you're not answering me. I did. Silence is an answer. Not addressing your feelings is addressing your feelings. It's just addressing them in an unhealthy, counterproductive way to your overall well-being. So, and, and this, here's the crazy part, Ronnie. I tell people, you ever had your heart broken? Well, yeah. You ever been, you know, anger is a secondary emotion. You ever been disappointed, embarrassed, ashamed, humiliated, fearful, whatever the case may be. You've had all of those feelings before. You've had them. Are you still here? Yeah. 
you, they didn't kill you. They didn't kill you. You, you, you're not in the hospital on life support because somebody broke your heart. You're, you're not, you know, you, you aren't, you know, hemorrhaging because you got fired. You aren't, um, you know, you, you didn't have to go to bankruptcy court because somebody cheated on you. Stop tripping. Grow up. Emotions happen. Life happens. Life is full of ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys and all types of stuff. You're talking to somebody who has experienced heartbreak and who has caused heartbreak. You're talking to somebody that has lied and that has been lied to. You're talking to somebody that's been broke and you're talking to somebody that's been financially well off. You're talking to somebody that's quit and you're talking to somebody that's been fired. You're talking to somebody that has been embarrassed, ashamed, humiliated and all of those stuff. And come on, man. Come on. Why everybody want to be a pie back when it comes to their feelings? That's not clinical. That's just Lauren. But stop. Dude, I like, I, uh, <laughs> what's going to happen? What's going to happen if you say, you know what? You hurt me. You know what? I'm offended. You know what? I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm humiliated. I'm, I feel dis. If you, Ronnie, I have a, I have a metaphor. I think it's a metaphor, analogy, which I wanted them, wanted them, an analysis. <laughs> he, he, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the hay down where the goats can get it, bro. You can be like, Dr. Pitt, shut up. I will not. Here you go. People walk through life choosing to be prostitutes to their emotions. And the situation, circumstance, or event that yields whatever the emotion is that people are afraid to address is their pimp. When you gonna stop choosing to be an emotional prostitute to the pimps of your life? When you gonna stop? Mm. Acknowledge it, confront it, conquer it, and move the heck on. Take your power back and stop choosing to navigate life like you're pie filling. You are doing yourself a tremendous disservice when you don't man up and woman up or girl up and boy up and acknowledge that life is full of emotional experiences. They're not going away. They're going to keep happening whether you decide to deal with them properly or not. So you might as well deal with them properly because they're not going nowhere. And what you don't realize is by not dealing with them properly, you're feeding more of the negative emotional experience. Here's the comparison, then I'm a hush. We have morals, values, and belief systems that govern our lives. We're not, but they govern our lives just the same. Here's a relationship between your morals, your values, and your belief system. Nine times out of 10, when you have a positive emotional experience, Ronnie, it's because your values are being honored. When you have a negative emotional experience, it's because one of your values is being dishonored. If you don't acknowledge properly that negative emotional experience that you're having because you don't have boundaries in place to honor your values the way they should be honored, it's going to morph on you and it's going to create emotional pain. But you staying in that place of emotional pain is not the fault of the person, place, or thing that caused you to pay. It's yours. You're choosing to stay bound to the circumstances that yielded the negative emotional experience. That's all I got, Ron. I'm shutting up. I ain't got nothing else to say until you tell me close this out. That's real, man. I, I ain't gonna I ain't gonna talk. I ain't even gonna try to talk over that point. That was, that's real right there. That's real. Well, look, y'all, we got these, we got these picks that we gotta do real quick. So going back to week three, me and Dr. Pitts both had a record of six and four. Dr. Pitts finally got on the winning side of things. So, you know, there might be there might be some hope for her. You know, as you were talking, <clears throat> we were talking about adverse childhood experiences and you asked off those questions, um, the 10 questions that determine, you know, if, if it's a yes or not. I think um, when they redo it, I think they should revise it and add an 11th question. You know, and and it has to be 
you know, something along the lines of have you wasted the last at least three decades of your life rooting for mediocrity and believing that things could change? If so, because, you know, delusions are a real thing, you know, and that and that's a real concern. And sometimes people don't recognize the delusional views and, and thoughts um, until somebody points it out. And even then, sometimes that's met with resistance. And that's fine. You know, that, that lets me know that you're not just, you know, succumbing to something that has you have to believe. It. Let me ask you a question about that mindset. So what does one say? to the because there's 32 NFL teams for example right I'm not suggesting for a moment that you were talking about a football team but let's just say there's 32 NFL teams right Mm -hmm. and what we know to be true is that there are a number of those NFL teams that have never gone to the Super Bowl have zero rings are you suggesting that because I'm, I'm about to connect the dots for y'all. I'm about to connect the dots for you. I'm, I'm gonna do this real beautiful reframe, right? Are you suggesting that those fans should not maintain hope that one day their team is going to actually get the right formula and bring home a championship for them? Because I know the Eagles fans was hype, right? Back in 2017, right? Folks said that it was never gonna happen, and people have so much hate. The Eagles earned that in 2017. They did the darn thing. They sure enough didn't think that they was going to beat Tom Brady, but they did with the Philly special. They, they did that thing, and people still would not give them credit where credit was due. But since we're talking about parents, let's connect it to parents, shall we? Your child is playing for a team that never loses, that never wins. Never. Are you going to continue to encourage your child to do their level best? Are you going to go to the game and are you going to talk smack and move again? No, you're going to maintain hope regardless of how much hate exists around you because you maintain hope that somehow, some way, somewhere, somebody is going to figure out a formula to get the win. You can't not, you can't not hope. You have to. Because if you don't, then you're just walking around with a defeatist mindset. You would have never, ever, ever continued to play on a team that if everybody that loved you and cared about you was like, Ronnie, I don't know why you're playing for the NGC. No, this up. You just, you would have been like, shut up. Would you not? That's what I thought. Go ahead and get these picks because we're going to go over time because I got to close us out with this here topic. What's the picks, man? Stop talking about my Cowboys. I'm going to the game tomorrow too, Ronnie, and I'm FaceTiming you. Uh-oh. You know the you know the greatest trick the double play was having people think he I'm never I'm going existed. to the game tomorrow, Ronnie, and I'm FaceTiming you. All right. So our first game, we have um, Lane College versus Tennessee State. Now, Lane is at 2-2, two and two, and Tennessee State is at 0-3. Uh, Coach Eddie George is not having a, a great start to his first year. Um, so who you got, Dr. Pitts? Lane. Lane, all right. I'm going to say uh, Tennessee State. I'm going to say he gets on the board this week. All right, we got 1-2 and two Bethune-Cookman versus 0-4 oh Alabama A&M. Ooh. Cookman. Cookman, all right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Bethune-Cookman, too. I'm going to take Bethune-Cookman as well. All right, we have 0-4 uh, oh Mississippi Valley versus 2-2 two two FAMU. You know, I always go with FAMU. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. I'm a I'm a rock. I always go with fam. I'm a rock with fam. You as well. Um, and if um, excuse me, um, I've been trying to get in touch with our athletic director, Michael Smith. If you're listening, I need you to call me. Uh, <laughs> we used to work please, together back in the day when I was at fam. I've been trying to get in touch with him unsuccessfully. I need please him. Please hit us up, sir. We're trying to get in yes, contact. Yes, I, I need him to call Nani. <laughs> we got um. Two and two Alabama State versus one and three Texas Southern. State. ASU. I'm gonna take ASU as well. We got um Livingstone versus Bowie. Now Livingstone is one and three. Bowie is two and two. Bowie. Um and honestly, I didn't, you know. I know you don't like to go with Bowie, but I'm going. I'm going to go with Livingstone for the upset. That's my upset of the week. Okay. We got um, one and three. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 
Yeah, two and two Tuskegee versus one and three Clark Atlanta. Tuskegee. Tuskegee. I'm gonna take Tuskegee as well. All right, we have two and two Shaw versus three and one Virginia State. I know. No Virginia State. Oh, coach to beat us up and never come on the show again. Shaw beats. So a little fun fact, Shaw beat Bowie last week. So this should be an interesting. This not might, okay. might not be much of a cakewalk for uh Virginia State this week. So we'll see what happens. Okay. We got um 4-0 Union versus 0-4 St. Augs. Union. <laughs> <clears throat> we have 1-3 Miles versus 3-1 Albany State. Albany State. And last but not least, we have 2-2 two two Prairie View versus 1-3 Grambling. Prairie View. Prairie View. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take Grambling in this one. All right. All right, Dr. Pitts. Go ahead and close us out. All right, folks. So, bottom line. Bottom line here is that we need parents to be more, first and foremost, more conscientious of how their own baggage is impacting how they're showing up for their children. Um, you know, a lot of times when you have all of this unresolved issue of your own, it it puts you in a position to unconsciously create pressure and stress on your kids where with regards to their athletic performance. And then you focus so much on winning rather than putting the emphasis on learning and participation that you disrupt your child who already has baggage because they're absorbing some of your baggage. So I'm just going to give you the quick, quick, quick bullet points of parental do's and don'ts. So do's. Encourage and motivate your child to develop skills and self-realization about the skills they possess and can achieve. This will add to their confidence and thus transfer such skills in their everyday lives. Parents need to put faith in the coach's methods. If both together convey similar messages to the athlete, they won't get confused. They'll have time and will place their energy and efforts on working toward goals set by their parents and the coaches. Extend your endless emotional and tangible support to your child. This gives an assurance to the child athlete that they got their back whenever required or that you have their back whenever required. Things that we don't want you to do. We don't want you to keep not addressing your issues as a parent. That's what. We don't want you um, to become over-involved in the athletic performance of your child, you know, anything in excess. Although it's a way of showing care, support, and affection towards your athlete, there has to be some balance because there's a fine line between supporting your athlete and being over-involved. Don't stress them out by putting too much pressure on winning or success. Allow them to enjoy and learn from their athletic performance and, and play because pressure is a detriment to the fun and performance of your student athlete. Avoid giving unnecessary guidance to your student athlete. Conflicting messages from coaches and parents will leave them in a chaotic situation and they need to be able to play the sport with a clear mind. If parents disagree with the coaches, talk to the coach rather than to your athlete. Just remember folks, you have the ability to be a positive and productive support system for your athlete that builds self-esteem, that helps them to deal with um, the stress of, of play more effectively, that helps them to do amazing and extraordinary things in their athletic performance. Look folks, that's it. That's all we have today. I feel like you gave your mouth full hose. You went over by four minutes. Eh, it's like we're not on, you know. It's all good. Yet, right. It's all good. Um, I really am FaceTiming Ronnie from the game tomorrow. Um, I'm gonna put video win, lose, or draw. Who y'all playing tomorrow? Fa- com- Commanders. Oh yeah, that's right. That's win, right. That's, oh, yeah. y'all win, should, lose, y'all or draw. Win. I'm putting video on Facebook tomorrow, people, so that you can see me at the game, all cowboy geared up, and I'm FaceTiming Ronnie Branson. What time is y'all's game? We play at 12 o'clock. Noon. So 1 o'clock y'all's time. So here's one more thing, Ronnie. 
Today's my baby sister's birthday. Well, happy birthday, baby birthday. sister. So happy birthday to Tamara Lee Braxton, a.k.a. Hey. It's my baby sister's birthday, so happy birthday to her. I know she was talking about turning up. She had a special glass decorated the whole nine yard of a needed to be eight. Have a wonderful, wonderful Saturday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy all this amazing football that's about to be on. We'll see you back here same time next week. Peace. Yes, ma'am.